Pastor. Good to be here. All right. I was hoping they were going to get me a shorter one because I came up here earlier and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to be up here. It just doesn't work. I was telling uh, the couples that uh, when, when I was your pastor's youth pastor, uh, there was a man that made custom podiums for both my wife and I. And when we left that church, I mean, had my name on it and everything. When we left that church, I said, can I take this with me? And they said, yes, because nobody in their right mind would use these. So um, my, both my wife and I still use those custom podiums, and we have enjoyed it. So uh, I will only be gracious to your pastor because I've been in the same position. One, one time back, actually, at Fostoria Baptist, uh, we asked my mother to come. I am privileged to have grown up in a pastor's home. My dad pastors in the Kalamazoo, Michigan area been pastoring the same church for 42 years uh, and love the testimony of faithfulness there but we'd asked my mom to come and speak at a ladies thing well all of the ladies are ecstatic to have my mom there not because of what she is going to say but of the stories that could be given about their youth pastor her son and so my mom gets up and she is uh, starting out and she said ladies I know you're looking forward to stories about Pastor Todd and all I can tell you is that He's perfect. I will not go that far and lie about your pastor, okay? Um, but uh, we'll put it this way. I'll take the blame. There are several things he was mentioning this weekend that I influenced him in, okay? Those would all be the negative things that you see in him as a pastor, all right? And I will take blame uh, for that. But it, it was neat. I got to see his son play basketball, and I cheered for his son the same way I cheered for uh, Pastor Yeomans back when I coached him and back when I would cheer for him in different sports that he was playing for uh, when he was in our youth group. So we have thoroughly enjoyed our time here. I love a few things about Canada. I love, what is it, Toonies? Okay, those are just the coolest thing. I don't know why, but uh, I like it. And I love um, flakies. How many of you like flakies? Am I saying it right? You know, so we went to, I call it Wally World, okay, Walmart. We went to Wally World last night, and I got uh, a few boxes of flakies. Some of those boxes will be gone before we get home to our boys. I may try to save one box for them on some things. But it really has been a privilege uh, to be here. And uh, your pastor mentioned, so I'm just going to uh, go in with it as well. I hope you will, he had mentioned at the retreat that this was going to become an annual thing. Those of you that are married couples, set the time aside, all right? Make it a planned event. We've been doing something like that at our church uh, for the last 10, 11 years. It is one of my favorite times. And speaking to couples is one of my favorite things uh, to do. So I am grateful to be able to be with you today. It is a privilege to be able to preach for one of my kids, all right? I know he's taller than me, all right, but he's one of my kids. You wanna, can we take a vote on that? I actually have a lady back at our church that she will tell all the guest speakers, my pastor is the best looking pastor, okay? She's partially blind, but it, <laughs> I, I'll take what I can get, all right? All right, take your Bibles, would you, and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, please. I love your, your, uh, your theme for the year. It is what? Perfect. Oh, boy. Okay, your theme for the year is? Let's try it again. Your theme for the year is? 
Okay, we're making progress, okay. Let's, uh, your pastor had mentioned that to me a few weeks ago, and as I was thinking and praying about what the Lord would have me to speak on uh, with you this morning, uh, I believe what I'm going to share with you from the Word of God this morning as well as this afternoon, I hope you're planning on being here for all the services, stay for the fellowship. I almost dug into the food back there already, but I, I withheld, all right, and stay for the second service as well. I, I hope you'll be here. But God has several purposes for us in his word. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 1, is actually one of those purposes. The Bible says this, if you'll follow along as I read. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, do you have your Bibles open? Can you read it with me? We faint not. My desire is to preach a sermon this morning from this passage that I have simply entitled, Motivated by Mercy. If we're going to fulfill the purpose that God has for us, we must have the right motivation. Uh, some of you would be very familiar with uh, the name, the Olympic runner, Eric Liddell. Are you familiar with that? If you're not familiar with his name, some of you may be more familiar uh, because of the movie, the old movie, Chariots of Fire. Well, the interesting thing, it was just actually a few weeks ago, I was reading about uh, Eric Liddell and this uh, great book by Eric Metaskis, uh, Seven Men in the Secret of Their Greatness. And I was just reading through that, and one, one, of, uh, one of the people that he's dealing with, uh, Mr. Metaskis, is Eric Liddell. And Eric chose not to compete in his best event. It was the 100-meter dash for, uh, for his home country, Scotland. There was one reason why he would not compete in that event. It was almost a guaranteed gold. I've played in games like that where we were just guaranteed the victory, but you still got to run it, you still got to play the game, and still ultimately have to have the, uh, the higher score at the end. But this was, based on all of the present-day runners, this was the uh, almost a sure thing. But, but Mr. Liddell chose not to run because the race was being held on Sunday. Now, uh, the author describes Liddell's motivation as his great desire to please and obey God in all he did, even if it meant missing out on a guaranteed Olympic gold. And do you know, not only would that be a personal setback, I mean, I'd love to have an Olympic gold. I think that would be cool. And I, I hope that when, when the Olympics roll around that you are cheering for your country, all right? I cheer for another country, all right, as I should, all right? But, but I have several friends that are here in, in uh, Canada, love coming here, speaking, seeing friends and things of that nature. But, but uh, uh, he would have had a guaranteed gold and he would have had the ultimate praise of his country. He turns this down. I'd like to think that I would have enough character to do that. I'm not so bold as to say that I would. I would simply like it to be. And here is what it was, all right? His motivation, his great motivation, his great desire was to please and obey God in all he did, even if it meant missing out on some accolades, lifelong, and some great blessings of an Olympic gold. Now, can I tell you that's a great motivation? And, and really, simply put, it's a great motivation for every Christian here to live by, to please God. But in our text, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, gives another motivation. 
That motivation comes in one form, one word, and it is mercy. Mercy is defined uh, in one Bible dictionary that I use to look it up as the compassionate disposition to forgive someone. You good at that? I'm not always good at that. Or another uh, um, definition is to offer aid, assistance, or to help someone in need. Allow me to summarize based off of the definition and the text. Let me put it together for you for a moment here, okay? Because God has shown mercy to you and to me by forgiving our sins when we called upon him, even though we did not deserve it, we are then motivated to practice mercy in others' lives by serving our Savior. I recognize that's a long definition. I hope you grasp it. I'll, I'll make it succinct. Because what God has done for me, I ought to do something for this man here. And for these people over here. And for the people that are back at my home church, Bible Baptist Church. And for the people in the community of Bloomington in normal Illinois where God has placed me. Because of God's mercy. Now, you may be having a thought to yourself, I'm not certain, is, is the right motivation, is biblical motivation that important? I'd like to quote uh, something from you from a book entitled Lectures to My Students, written by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Many of you would have certainly have heard that name, all right? But he writes why biblical motivation is vital. I quote, our work, when earnestly undertaken, lays us open to attacks in the direction of depression. Who can bear the weight of souls without sometimes sinking to the dust? Passionate longings after men's conversion, salvation, all right, if not fully satisfied, and when are they, consume the soul with anxiety and disappointment. To see the hopeful turn aside, the godly grow cold, professors abusing their privileges, and sinners waxing more bold in sin. That kind of describes our day and age, doesn't it? Are not these sights enough to crush us to the earth? The kingdom comes not as we would. The reverend name is not hallowed as we desire. For this we must weep. How can we be otherwise than sorrowful while men believe not our report and the divine arm is not revealed? All mental work tends to weary and to depress. For much study is a weariness of the flesh, but ours is more than mental work. It is heart work, the labor of our inmost soul. Such soul travail as that of a faithful minister will bring on occasional seasons of exhaustion when heart and flesh will fail. Our motivation has to be right or we will fail. Do you have a biblical motivation... And I appreciate what was said. Certainly nobody here, uh, none of the pastoral staff can, can force anybody to come to Bible Baptist Church. You made a choice. But I wonder, what was your reason for coming? Was your reason just simply because, well, you know, if I'm not here, pastor's going to be texting me or knocking on my door, and then i got to come up with some excuse. And i got to really try to make it sound good. Well, I, you know, I, I just heard about this one, all right? A, uh, a young man asked for work off because his grandma had passed away and wanted to go to the funeral. So the boss gave the uh, young man the time off, and, and that young man uh, then came back to work the uh, following day after that funeral, and, and the boss said, hey, do you believe in the resurrection? 
And the young man said, yes. He said, well, that's good to know because your grandma called yesterday. <laughs> he had a wrong motivation to ask for time off. I wonder, what is your motivation for being here in God's house? What is your motivation for the areas in which you serve the Lord Jesus Christ in and through Bible Baptist Church? We must have the right biblical motivation or we will fall, we will falter. The older I get, the more I appreciate men and women who have remained faithful to God for seasons and for really all of their life. I mentioned to you my dad has been pastoring the same church for 42 years. He'll turn 73 years old this year. He'll outwork almost anybody I know. Still going, still loving it. I appreciate that the older I get. I'm one year away from 50. Yeah, thank you, whoever. And what really aged me was being this guy's youth pastor. Being a youth pastor is like dog years. What do they say? It's like seven years for every one human year. So I'm actually in my hundreds. So I do look pretty good for a hundred plus year old, okay? We must have the right motivation. You see, weary hearts are not uncommon for those who serve God, but no one has experienced the pressures of serving like Paul. I've preached through the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is appropriately described as Paul's autobiography. And you understand what the Apostle Paul went through. No one's experienced what he has. He's accused of having a weak and fading ministry. He's accused of being dishonest. He's accused of corrupting God's word. And that he hindered the preaching of the gospel. These are all hurtful. But did Paul faint under these attacks? No. He defends the ministry that God called him to. And as a result, he gives you and me, the church, a dynamic profile of how the ministry is maintained. You see, it's God's mercy to us, and then that mercy flowing through me to others. Now, before you get too comfy in your seat, you're thinking, you know what, pastor, that's fine. You know, you know what, the, the pastoral staff needs to hear this, because, I mean, you're talking about the Apostle Paul, and he was in full-time ministry, like what the pastoral staff is here, and, and what we would consider a missionary, and, and like you, Brother Harrison, okay, all of those things. Let me, let me give you a major time out right now. This book is written to a local church. So you know what that means? This book is written to you here at Bible Baptist Church on this February morning. So don't get too comfy in your seats. I hope you squirm a little bit, not because of what I say, but because of the word of God. I have men in our church that will come up and say, Pastor, you stepped on my toes today. I said, well, I hope it's the word of God and not me. But I understand what they're saying. I hope the word of God will step on our toes in the areas that we need it. If you're taking notes, I have three points for you. First of all, this morning, I want you to consider mercy's gift. Mercy's gift is found in the phrase, as we have received mercy. God's mercy is most evident in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and for my sins. Your pastor and I were in the Holy Land together with your former pastor. I've known both of these men for uh, a couple of decades now. All right, and, and we got to see Calvary where Jesus Christ was crucified. We got to see the empty tomb where Jesus Christ no longer is and was only there for a short amount of time. The only person in any religion, if I could use that phrase, that is no longer in the grave. 
Any other founder is still in the grave, but that is the greatest mercy that is evident to you and to me because Jesus Christ died for your sin, for the sins of the world. So what exactly is this mercy? Well, it is God offering us a pardon for our sins. Now, if you're a guest here today, I welcome you. I'm a guest as well, and I've been warmly welcomed, and I trust you have as well. But since I don't know you, can I, can I just say the most important thing this morning is you need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are a sinner. I know that's not a pleasant or polite thing to say. If you want evidence of it, where's the nursery pastor, this corner right here? Okay, that's what I thought. I was wandering around and I saw it. Guess what? Just go in there. We have four boys, my wife and I. Our oldest is uh, almost 22. Our youngest is down to seven. So we've had four boys go through the nursery. You know what my boys do? They bite people in the nursery. Take after their mother. Listen, you want to see sinners going there? But let's take a moment. I wonder where they learn it from. Hmm. I'm looking at you from their dad. (laughs) Quite possibly that is true. Certainly each and every person here is a sinner. The only difference would be is those of you who have called upon the name of Jesus Christ to save you, you are simply just a sinner saved by grace. And praise God for that, the greatest decision that you can ever make. But that is the greatest gift of mercy. The Bible is clear about this, that we are a sinner. For all have sinned, Romans 3.23 says, and we've come short of the glory of God. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? And yet God offers his mercy to all. Romans 11, beginning in verse number 30. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have also have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that ye might have mercy upon all." Four times in these verses, I need to read for a moment here just to get my point across here, all right? Four times in these verses, Paul points to God's mercy. First, there's his mercy to the Gentiles in verse number 30. He re-emphasizes the fact that God's dealing in government with Israel has been a means of his extending his grace to Gentiles. A Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. That's the simple definition for us, all right? Mercy is the brightest light that plays upon the throne of God. There, there, his mercy is to the Jews in verse number 31. Paul is drawing here an exact parallel. Once the Gentiles were the unbelievers, but through the disobedience of the Jews have found mercy. Now the Jews are the unbelievers, but by the mercy of the Gentiles, they too may find mercy. And finally, there is mercy to the whole world in verse number 32. In other words, God has overruled the disobedience of men, Jews and Gentiles alike, that he might offer mercy to all. Have you experienced this mercy from God? Have you called upon him as your savior? Here's the greatest thing that you could ever choose, greatest decision, and that is to call upon Jesus Christ as your savior. And at the end of the service, there will be an opportunity for you to to talk to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it's myself, Pastor Yeomans, other, other men or women here at Bible Baptist Church that would love to do nothing else. In fact, they would love to skip the fellowship time with food to give you eternal food from the Word of God. So, first of all, I want you to recognize that there's mercy's gift. I want you to consider as well mercy's giving for Christians. So now I, 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 I 
flip our thought process here for a moment. The first aspect is for those who do not know Christ as their Savior. And I love when the Word of God wraps, how can God, Pastor, write it in one verse and it takes you and I 30 or 40 minutes, okay? But God wraps all of this up in, in just a few short words. So, you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can have that gift of mercy, but I want you to consider mercy's giving. We now move to those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior. We've received this mercy, and now it's our responsibility to give mercy. This is your ministry. This is my ministry. Every Christian. It really doesn't matter if you have been saved and know Christ as your Savior for one hour or for 70 years. You never quit. Once again, I appreciate people who remain faithful to the calling of Christ in their life. Are you continuing to give the mercy that God wants you to to others? The Greek word used here has several implications and even applications for us. It, it means serving. It also means the act of being friendly. I wonder, when you see somebody new come through those doors... Are you fighting to get to them? I love it at our church when I can't get to guest because our church people have done it. You know what? That makes a greater impression than pastor because you're doing it because you love people and you love the Lord. I'm not saying that's not his motivation either, okay, but you know what the justification could be? Well, he gets paid to do that. Listen, we ought to be giving mercy. We ought to be acting friendly. It also uh, gives us the application of giving aid and service in the gospel. The, the ministry here is the ministry of the new covenant, a merciful covenant, one which was not of the law but of the Spirit, a ministry far more glorious than the legalistic ministry which Paul's detractors wanted to impose on the Corinthians. Paul was undaunted. Neither weariness nor fear deterred him. Paul lauded the mercy of God, which was at the heart of the new covenant, Mr. John Phillips writes for us. You know, Paul could never get over the mercy that God had given to him. You know, sometimes I think those of us who have had the privilege of either growing up in good Bible preaching churches, we've also known Christ since an early age, we get over that. Shame on us. Paul couldn't get over it. In fact, he reminded Timothy of this in 1 Timothy 1.12. 1 Timothy 1.12 is the verse that God gave to me back in high school as what I would call my life verse. It says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. I like stopping right there. Guess what happens in verse number 13? Paul just describes who he is and what he was, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained, guess what? Guess what word? Mercy. I obtained mercy. So here is the probing question for each of us this morning. How are you and I showing mercy to others? How are you serving others, particularly through this local church i'm thankful for various ministries that that may be a help outside of the local church however 
those are not instituted by God. God has instituted a couple of things, and one is the family. We address that on Friday and Saturday for the couples retreat. The other is the church. How are you serving through this place? I know I knew far too many Christians, well, well, they'll be a part of this and they'll be a part of that, but man, ask them to come and serve at Bible Baptist Church. I don't have time for that, Pastor. Can I just give you a time out on that? See what the Word of God has to say. He, he, the Bible says that Christ came for the church. That should be your focus. Now, it's amazing how you can serve the Lord through your local church. You can be the witness and the testimony that you ought to be at your place of employment. And that's being a minister to, with Bible Baptist Church. Because if everybody here does it, I don't know how many are here. I think I'm preaching to 3,000 this morning, all right, evangelistically speaking. Okay, and, and so if everybody here took the word of God and gave it to somebody this week, we have um, at, at, our, at our evening afternoon service uh, back at our church, we have what we call track testimonies. And so uh, before, before we hear testimonies from people, uh, I have my men pass out uh, tracks to everybody in the congregation. Say, okay, give this one out next week, and, and then we'll take time to just share how God gave the opportunity. One of our ladies went to a grocery store, and she was picking up groceries, and she bought a Snickers bar. And uh, she gave the Snickers bar to the cashier along with the gospel track. That young man looked at that lady and said, you just made my day. I got a feeling he's going to read that gospel track. I don't know what it cost her, $1.52, $2, I'm not certain. Is that worth it to give the gospel? You and I need to be showing mercy to others. Paul never got over this. All right? So how are you serving others, particularly through this local church? Every church that I am aware of needs faithful servants what you know what i'm going to have an interview with your pastor is every ministry and everything desires that god has in your heart for this place being fully staffed and taken care of at okay i kind of thought so and i have pastor friends all over the world and they tell me the same thing my closest friend actually pastors here in canada and he tells me the same thing. Every church needs people to be faithfully serving. Can you be counted on? I hope you can. And then to keep it appropriate as a sermon, because it's not a good sermon if it's not alliterated, right? Okay, technically three points in a poem. Okay, I have no poem for you, all right? I think I have one this afternoon, though. Mercy's grimness. Mercy's grimness. You're like, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about, right? What I mean by that is no compromise. You're just straightforward. There's no compromise in this. This point is needed as a constant reminder for all of you who are giving mercy to others. Where do we find it in our, in our passage? We faint not. You don't quit. You keep going. How many of you have played sports? How many of you were a great athlete in your mind when you were younger? Okay, I was telling the couple to read, I, I get better. 
okay, in my old age, okay, I mean, I was phenomenal, okay, I coached your pastor, all right, he can tell you how unphenomenal I was, okay, but, but the fact of the matter is, is I do remember something about sports, and that is I never quit. I never could have been uh, 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 described as the most uh, gifted with a soccer ball. But if something did describe me, it was he doesn't quit. He'll keep running. Now, don't ask me to keep running now, okay? That doesn't happen anymore, okay? But, but it's amazing in so many other areas of life why it is that we say, okay, in the things of God, it's okay if I take a break. But we would never think of doing that in our job. We would never think of doing that in, uh, on the ball field or on the court or whatever area of life it is in your life that is something you're like, you know, I'm going to keep persevering. And yet so many times I hear people say, you know what, I think it's time for somebody else to do this. Now I recognize you may not be able to do the same things that you used to do. I don't know that I want to be a youth pastor again at almost 50 years old. All right. In fact, we are hiring our first assistant this summer. I'm thankful for that. Because right now my wife and I are also the youth pastor. And the kids want to do like my son, my son, our son is, uh, he's going to graduate from Bible college. And uh, he's been hired as a youth pastor in Ohio. And uh, he called me last night and he's like, Dad, what games did you play? This is part of a class he has to come up with. And I don't know if you remember any of these Pastor Yeomans, but uh, one of our favorites was Murder Ball. Okay. And, and it was murder. Okay. Uh, then there's Spoke Tackle, the world's roughest race. And I'm just, and my son was like, Dad, do you have that uh, where you can send me files? I said, no, it's all up here, buddy. So when we travel back, I'll call him this afternoon and give him all the details. I don't want to play Murder Ball anymore. I don't want to play spoke tackle anymore. I want to sit and play charades, okay? I may be able to handle that, okay? I understand you may not be able to do what you used to do. I recognize that. But that means there's something else for you to do. There's, there's always investing in people. You cannot invest in people until you have a relationship with people. Do you have relationships with people here? When that person comes through the door and they're new, have you developed a relationship with them? Hey, you know what? Let's go out to Timmy's. Let me get to know you. Now, don't stalk them. Okay, I mean, they're, give a little balance here, all right? But we faint not. Don't compromise by quitting. The word faint here means to fail. Paul does ministry with heart. So I go back to the quote I gave you about Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon was correct in mentioning discouragement as one of the ministry's greatest risks. Loss of heart can bring disaster, but God's mercy will ground our heart to the point of no compromise. I do not know if your pastor has had these thoughts, all right? But most of us in ministry at some point in the time have had these thoughts. You know what? I'm just done. And my guess is if those of us who have the privilege of serving in a full-time capacity have that, those of you that are faithfully serving have the same thoughts. Is it worth it? Do I want to keep doing this? 
Do I have the time? And we can come up with all sorts of reasons and excuses, but we need never to compromise. God's mercy will ground our hearts. Isaiah 40, beginning in verse number 30, the Bible says, Even the youths shall faint and be weary, the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I love the aspect there. I, I think there's actually, a, in one sense, a description of age there. You have mounting up with wings as eagles. That shows uh, some youth, some vitality, some excitement. I'm looking forward to this young man that we're hiring. I mean, he's, he's 21 years old. I've known him all of his life. And he did an internship with us last summer, and he's just got energy. He's got excitement. He's got some thoughts. And I'm like, man, I never thought of that. I am ecstatic about that. And then, then there's some people who, you know what, okay, they can't fly anymore, but they certainly can run. But then maybe you get a little bit, a little bit farther down the line. You may not be able to run anymore, but you can still walk. You can still keep going. I'd like to think I'm probably at the running stage just near the tail end of it. I'm guessing my dad and then, then my pastor who I served under for 14 years as an assistant pastor, I'm guessing those men are a little bit more at the walking stage. And that's quite all right because guess what? They're still going. They haven't quit. They haven't thrown in the towel. We are told and examples abound of those who have fainted because they did not wait upon the Lord. If you will remain strong, you and I must saturate ourselves in God, in His Word, and in obedience to His Word. 2 Corinthians 4.16 confirms this principle well. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. How is it renewed? Only when you take this book and you read it, you know it, it doesn't stop there, and you apply it. Knowledge of this book only puffs up. And I could, I could stay here for too long and telling you people who have great knowledge of this book and zero application in their life. And those people, if they still attend church, are actually the biggest problems in churches. It's got to be applied to our lives. Proverbs 24.10 tells us, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. On our own, we have little strength. Therefore, it is vital to rest in God's strength. We also faint when we are not focused on grace. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit is life. Do you know your pastor does some things differently at Bible Baptist Church than what I do at Bible Baptist Church? Well, if I think... I. The only way that we do it is the right way. Well, that's the letter of the law, and pastor, you're wrong. No, guess what? We're an independent Baptist church for a reason. As God leads and directs your pastor, he leads and directs Bible Baptist Church to do what is best for Bible Baptist Church here in St. Thomas. Not in normal Illinois. 
but sometimes we are too focused on the letter and not the spirit. I must continually remind myself of this. Now it is true that God gives clear guidelines that should be obeyed. And you've been taught them from the word of God, from, from this uh, place, every time the word of God is opened. But there are some things that are different. Oh, I don't know, Joe, I like a wood floor on the platform. I can't believe you would do that, Pastor Norman. We're in the remodeling process as well, okay? So I understand what you're going through. We're working our way to the auditorium, and these are thoughts that I'm having. And then I preach on it, and I'm like, mm, maybe I like it. Makes me sound like I got a bigger, boomier voice, all right? Youth pastor voice again, all right? Listen, I don't care what you do here. It, it does look beautiful, I will tell you that. I love it. But it doesn't matter to me. God gives grace, second chances. God continually gives to us. Every one of us can be used of God. The following verses describe how Paul thought of himself. So if he could be used, then guess what? You and I can be used. Ephesians 3, 7 and 8. Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Now, those of you that are familiar with your Bible and you know who the Apostle Paul is, knowing that he wrote much of the New Testament for us, and he describes himself as the least of all saints. Less than that. Less than the least. And God could use him? I think God can use you. I think God can use me. And he goes on to say it's because of the grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Philippians 4.13, you know this. It's, it's a wonderful truth, great to apply to our focus this morning. It says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You don't have to faint. Now please don't take that, that passage, that verse out of context. I cannot just quote that passage and say, I will be able to dunk a basketball on a 10-foot rim. I can increase my height by just saying, I can do it. I've tried. For 49 years, I've tried. I hear young people talking about growing pains, and I'm like, what is that? I've never had them. I can't think about that and make it happen. We're talking about being able to do the things that God wants for us to do. I conclude this thought with a promise of a reward. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. Many of you know the next phrase, if we faint not. Some of you are ready to faint. You're ready to quit. It doesn't matter if it's in, uh, in your service to the church. It could be in your marriage. It could be with your children. It could be at work. It could be with life. We reap when we faint not. How is it that we don't faint? Well, because of the mercy that God has given to us. A pig was lamenting his lack of popularity. Now, I like pig meat, all right? Bacon on anything makes it manly, okay? We have a lady in our church. She makes this salad, and she calls it her man salad. Why? Because there's bacon in it. 
Okay, that's the only, and it's the only salad I will eat, okay? I stay away from rabbit food outside of that. But, but a pig, uh, you'll have to stick with me on this illustration for a moment, okay? A pig was lamenting his lack of popularity. And so he went and complained to the cow, all right? He complains to the cow that people were always talking about the cow's gentleness, the cow's kind eyes. He admitted certainly that the cow gives milk and cream, but maintained that pigs give more. He asserted that pigs give bacon and ham and that people even pickle their feet. He demanded the reason for such lack of appreciation. Well, as the story goes, the cow thought for a while and then said, maybe it's because I give while I'm still living. You can't do anything when you're in the grave. And don't anybody sit here thinking, well, I've got lots of time. We've buried a son. I've buried 100-plus-year-old people. I've buried teenagers. I thought I was going to be buried a few years ago. I almost lost my wife. I almost lost our third son. Listen, give Let's show mercy while God has given us life. If each of, each of us has a calling from God for our life, our effort should be to serve him while he gives us life. So let me ask you, what are you motivated by? When you and I are motivated by God's mercy, we serve others and we can serve faithfully. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can't serve. You can't be motivated by the mercy that you've not experienced yet. Is God working in your heart and life?